helping people get over their fear of Christianity begins with us looking at the things that make others fearful of our faith. Um, that's, that's what we've been doing throughout this series, is confronting controversies, confronting hot-button issues um, in the church and in faith um, that, that harm our witness, that harm our ability to reach out to others, that, that keep us from being able to meet broken people in the midst of their suffering and their hurting and raising them to life. Um, that's what this series has been about, actually dealing with real issues that really keep people from being a part of a faith that is so much more than just a political stance, is so much more than just about this narrow, myopic view of the world, but really is about living life that truly is life. So I want to thank you for sticking it out with us. Um, it's been tough uh, to preach these past five weeks. Um, there may be some moments out there when you're like, yeah, it was tough to sit here too. Um, so thank you for, for being a part of this. Uh, it's been a great, a great pleasure uh, to journey with you guys through this and through the Bible studies that we've been having on Wednesday nights. And um, because the last few weeks have been so complicated, um, what I want to do is take this week and make it very simple. Is that okay? Very simple. I want to show you how simple we're going to be. Um, can you show the picture that I have? I want to show you a picture. This is my soccer team, mine and Luke Martin's soccer team we coach together. Um, that's my daughter with her hand over her head, and, and that's Lily Grace in the pink shoes and the purple, and, and Andrew and, and Porter and Haley. That's our team. Um, and Emma Grace is not in that picture. I thought I got everybody in there. But anyways, we're missing one player in that team. But that's our soccer team, and we are the U6. EWC Dolphins, all right? And we are purple. We're the purple dolphins to boot. Um, and so this is how simple we're going to be this morning with what we're talking about. We're going to be super simple. We're gonna, I'm going to coach you through this just the way I coach. Um, uh, and Luke and I coach our players through things, okay? Are you ready? The goal, the goal is that way, Okay? You sick soccer, simple stuff, right? The go- All right, which way is the goal? That way, that's right. Madeline, Madeline, which way is the goal? The goal is that way. Okay, so which way are we going to go? We're going to go that way. Okay, this morning's sermon is that simple. It's that easy. It's, it's that direct. Um, it's hard to mess this up, but we do it all the time. I promise you, we mess this up all the time um, in the church, this message um, that, that, that I'm going to talk about today. And so what I want you to hear today is that what I'm talking about is not complicated. It's simple. Uh, we're all going to go the same direction. Um, even if those directions are a little varied, we're all headed the same way. That's what this sermon is all about. It's about getting it right and getting back to the basics. This morning's sermon is about when Christians get it right. When Christians get it right. And getting it right is really not all that complicated if we'll slow down Slow down just a little bit and look at where we are. Getting it right is not that difficult. We're going to be looking at the essential teachings of Jesus this morning. The summary of what Jesus taught was the goal of the Christian life. So Jesus, when he talked about the goal of the Christian life, um, he does this several times in the New Testament. He does it in Matthew. He does it in Mark. He does it in Luke. He talks about sort of what the goal of, of the, the Christian life is. And it generally sounds like this. It comes in this interaction that Jesus has with a group of scribes and lawyers and Pharisees who come forward to ask him a question. This is what the scribes and lawyers and Pharisees would do. They come forward to ask Jesus questions over and over again as he's out and about teaching, and they ask this question. They say, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Now remember, 
in the Old Testament, there are like 613 commandments. So picking one is kind of a big deal. Um, so he's saying, all right, the lawyer says to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important part of the law? And Jesus, what he does is he answers this question by drawing on two different pieces of Scripture. The first way he answers, the first, um, the first response from Jesus is the Shema, which comes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus says, well, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus, Jesus adds in with all your mind. So he says, the first commandment, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Pretty simple, right? Which way are we going? Going that way. That's right. right, We're all together with this. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But that's not where Jesus stops. See, the lawyer would have been nodding at that point like, yeah, that's the Shema. Everybody knows that. We put it on our doorpost. We write it on on our our fences. We, We put it everywhere. That's the Shema. We all know the Shema. And so the lawyer would have been agreeing. But then Jesus does something remarkable. He takes that a step further. And he says, and the second is liking, likened unto it. That's the way the, the King James says it, is likened unto it. Which if you want to update that by like 500 years <laughs> and say, the second one is this. The second is this. Or the second is similar to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is essentially saying there's not one great commandment, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two laws, all of the law, upon these two commandments, all of the law and prophets hang. Everything is centered on these two thoughts. The first thought is from Deuteronomy 6, the second thought is from Leviticus, that we're to love our neighbors as Ourself. Jesus takes these two parts of Scripture that are often separated and he brings them together. He synthesizes the, these two things to say to us that it's not just enough for us to love God and think that everything's going to be okay. But that truly loving God involves loving the people around us, loving our neighbors. Loving our neighbors, not just with the sort of, hey, you can borrow my lawnmower love, but truly loving our neighbors truly loving our neighbors, reaching out to them when they are hurting, reaching out whenever we see someone who is broken, reaching out to the poor, reaching out to to, to people who've been excluded and pushed away. This is what loving your neighbor as yourself looks like. If you want to get it right, if if you want to do what God desires for you, the easiest way to do that is to love God with everything you got and love your neighbor in the very same way. But here's the problem. Here's how we mess this up. Which way are we going again? That way. All right, we're all going that way. Okay, good. All right, so we get this wrong. Whenever we take and we say, well, the most important thing is to love God. And we sort of rank it high, right? Which means the best way I can show that I love God is church attendance. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do church stuff. And whenever there's um, a church-wide work day, I'm going to be at the work day. And then after that, I'm going to go to the fall festival. And after fall festival, I'm going to volunteer for the uh, Dominican Republic Missions Fair booth. Because you know what? Loving God's the most important thing. I'm going to love God, and that's how I'm going to love God. I'm going to go to church. We do this in the church all the time. We love God. And Jesus said something about loving your neighbor. And, you know, if I serve in the missions fair booth, 
and we raise the money. That's kind of like loving my neighbor because, you know, those people over there, they need it. And I don't know what's going on in the DR, but something is. And we do that, right? We rank these two things. When Jesus says that the second commandment is likened unto it, he's taking, he's taking this idea of loving our neighbor as ourself and elevating it to loving God so that these two things are on equal footing, that you can't do one without the other, that you can't love God without loving your neighbor, and you can't love your neighbor without loving God. But we want to elevate one over the other all of the time. This is where we get it wrong. The first way we get it wrong. The other way that we tend to get it wrong, outside of ranking the two, is sort of sentimentalizing the whole notion of loving our neighbor. Um, when I would leave the house growing up, whether it was to go to school um, or when I got a car to, to drive to school or to work or to football practice or soccer practice or whatever it is that my brother and I have to be doing, whenever we would leave the house growing up, when we were little, mom would say, now be sweet, boys. Southern mamas say things like that. If you had a southern mama, she probably said something to you like that when you were leaving the house every night. Be sweet. Okay, we'll be sweet. Um, and it sort of went out one, one ear and out the other. Um, we got a little bit older, and, um, you know, I guess we didn't like being told to be sweet anymore. So she started saying, be, be nice. She said, boys, be nice as we leave the house. And some of you are like, well, we're going to start saying be nice right now. Be, be nice. But see, be sweet and be nice is not the same as, as love your neighbor as yourself, is it? See, we get messed up with thinking that love is the same as being nice. And being nice and love are not always the same thing. Now, let me tell you, first and foremost, um, that if you want to truly love somebody, you're going to have to be nice, okay? You're going to have to do that. But loving someone is about more than just being nice. It's about giving them dignity. It's about giving them respect, about giving them. You can be nice without giving someone respect, can't you? You can, you can be nice and still kind of be kind of smug, backbiting, you can be nice, you can be courteous without truly loving your neighbor. Jesus asks us to do more than just have this sentimental kind of love for our neighbor. He, he asks us to do just what he did and to have this sacrificial love for neighbor, sacrificial love for the poor, sacrificial love for the broken and the outcast, sacrificial love for those who are in prison and those who are infirm, sacrificial love for the least among us and the last among us. This is what Jesus calls us to. Not some sort of, you know, soft, squishy notion of what love might look like, but love that drives us to act. This is what Jesus means when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well now, remember this whole story started with Pharisees and and scribes and lawyers coming to ask Jesus a question, right, about which is the greatest commandment. Well, a, a very wise, at least thinking, lawyer comes back to Jesus and he says, Now, Jesus, you've said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And before Jesus can, can step in and say, and you forgot the second part, um, the lawyer says, and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer's got this, right? He's got this in his mind that love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. But then he asks Jesus another question. Well, Jesus, then who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? If you ask me to love God, passionately and with all that I've got, and you ask me to love my neighbor, 
then who is my neighbor? We know who God is. Well, who's my neighbor? Define neighbor for me. And then Jesus begins to tell this story from Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. You can watch up on the screen. These are the words. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now remember, who is this that passed by on the other side? It's the priest, right? Good church-going fella, right? I hope priests and pastors are good church-going folks. Um, So he goes by on the other side of the road so as not to let his shadow fall on this man who might be dead or dying because doing so would actually make him ceremonially unclean and he wouldn't be able to go about the business that he had to attend to. So he walks by on the other side of the road. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road because the Levites, good church going religious fella, and he knows that if his shadow falls on the man dead lying in the ditch, that he's going to be ceremonially unclean and his day is going to be shot and ruined because he's going to have to go through a purification process. So they both pass by on the other side of the road. Two religious professionals walk by on the other side of the road. And they probably had stuff going on. They were probably busy. They probably had things to do and people to see and religious principles to uphold, religious things to do, but they don't stop to help. But a Samaritan, and here is the scandal in this story, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, the reason it's a scandal is because Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews as less than dogs. And so a Samaritan would never consider helping a Jew And a Jew would certainly never consider helping a Samaritan because they hated one another. They hated one another. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. Took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Then Jesus turns the table on the Pharisee, turns the table on the scribes and the lawyers. He says, Which... Of these three, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says to this man, go. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and let your heart be broken for the world in which you live. And meet people in their brokenness. Go and see the needs of the community in which you live. Not your neighborhood. Not your subdivision. Talking about your community. Where poor people live. Where homeless people sleep on the streets night after night. Where kids go to school hungry because there's no food in their house. Go and let your heart be broken by the world in which you live and do likewise. Reach out. Reach out in love. Reach out to the world in the very same way 
that Jesus reached out to you. Because here's the deal about love, friends. Love doesn't separate. And love doesn't draw lines. Love sees needs. Love sees need and responds. True love, the love of God that's in our hearts should be spilling out into love of neighbor, into love for strangers, into love for the hurting and the lost and the last. It's interesting that that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached on this very scripture text the night before that he was assassinated. And in his sermon, he said something very profound and very insightful. He said that the religious leaders, these righteous men who walked by on the other side of the road, they weren't evil. They weren't bad people. There was nothing wrong with them. They were simply asking the wrong question. The question they were asking is, what will happen to me? What will happen to me if I stop and I help? What will happen to me if I don't make it to my next appointment or if I become ceremonially unclean by helping this man? What will happen to me? The Samaritan, though, he asks a fundamentally different question. He asked, what will happen to him if I don't stop? What will happen to him if I don't step in? What will happen to him if I pass by? Do you see how that changes the dynamics of the conversation? So which question are you asking in your life? Are you asking what will happen to me if I reach out to my neighbor in love? What will happen to me if I deal with that person I see day after day begging for food? What will happen to me? Or are you asking what will happen to him or her or them if I don't step in? And I don't do something. Christians get it right. When we, quick, when, when we ask what will happen to them if we don't act, instead of asking what will happen to us if we do. We get it right when we put the needs of others before, we put, before our own needs. And this is what John gets at in, in 1 John 4. That this idea that love of neighbor is tightly, tightly tied to love of God. This is what he gets at. I want you to hear these verses. They're in your, your bulletins, and they'll also be up on the screen. He tells us that love for neighbor is not optional. It's not something that we can opt out of, but it's intrinsically tied to loving God. John says it like this. He says, Dear friends, since God loved us, since God condescended, left heaven to come and be with us, died for us, and rose to life, he says, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and, is made, and his love is made complete in us. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God and yet hates A brother or sister is a liar. Or whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. This is John. Like John, the guy who'd been with Jesus in his life and ministry. 
He says, and he has given us this command. This is the command that John comes back to. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Anyone who loves God must love their neighbor as their self. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is what Jesus is talking about when he calls us to love God and to love neighbor. Love perfected in us can do incredible things. Love perfected in us, it has the power to drive out our fear and causes us to act that others might be freed from their fear, liberated from their suffering, set free from their sin and from evil in every form in which it presents itself whether it's racism or sexism or discrimination or abuse or oppression or slavery or poverty or systemic violence. Perfect love casts out fear and pushes us to act in this broken world. The reality for those of us who are sitting here and who have given our lives for Christ is that the love of God has been poured out in us. Not so that we can store it up and hide it away, but so that we can let it pour out into a world that is lost and hurting. That's how we can get it right. If we simply open our arms and open our doors and open our lives, that we might embrace the world in the same way that Jesus has embraced us. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. It's not too tough. Which way are we going again? Coincidentally, that's the way out of here. Which is where we should all be going. To share God's love. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for allowing us these past five weeks to wrestle with with tough topics, God to rethink the way we think, to reconsider the way we act and the way that we live and the way we respond to the world. God, be with us now as we lift our voices in song. Be with us as the offering baskets come. Be with us as we seek to do your will and your work in the world this day. Pray all these in the name of Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.